Well, good morning. It is good to be here and good to be able to worship today. We have one very uh, quick but important announcement. Um, the uh, bathrooms on this side of the building, for whatever reason, are out of order. Uh, the bathrooms on this side of the building in the annex are working just fine, but these over here are not. So we have some folks coming to work on those, but uh, if you need to use the restroom, please go to that side. We apologize for the inconvenience, but have no fear because the heaters are working better than ever. So we will not be cold today. Invite your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 through 25. That's the section that we're going to be studying this morning together. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 through 25. Children ask a lot of questions, don't they? And that's understandable because naturally that's how they learn. That's how anybody learns, by asking questions. And some of those questions are kind of funny and basically inconsequential and sometimes even a little bit annoying, like the question, why? Uh, we hear that question at least 10 million times a day in our household. But then there are questions that are actually very important, and they actually deserve a very, very good answer because they do matter. Questions like, why do we go to church on Sundays? Questions like, why don't we use instruments when we sing? Or, why can't I go to that place or watch that movie or listen to that song? Or, why don't we or why do we fill in the blank? These questions, of course, are very important. And it is vital that our children know, how they know the answers to them. It's vital that we know the answers so that we can give those to our children. And these kinds of questions and this kind of information lays the foundation for their faith, which undoubtedly is going to be tested viciously as they grow and as they mature and live in this world. And so some questions need to be answered. Now, this isn't a unique phenomenon. You'll notice in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, that the section we're studying this morning, it begins by saying this, when your son asks you in time to come. It begins with a question, and no less than 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy, God mentions something to do with children asking questions. Questions about why we do what we do. Questions about who we are, questions about who we serve, how we live, and so on. And also, no less than 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy, will God mention in conjunction with these questions being asked the importance of every generation being able to answer those questions and being able to teach their children about what it means to be God's people and about obeying his will. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 through 25 is one of those 14 passages. You will notice that in this section, we begin with a question in verse number 20. And then in verse 21 through 25, we have the prescribed response for the adults or parents who are asked the questions. And the question in this particular case basically is this. Why do we obey the Lord? Listen to the question. Deuteronomy 6 verse 20. 
um, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded us? In other words, it would be like our children coming up and asking us, what is this book? And why do we read and study from it and preach and teach from it? And why is it important that when we read and study and preach and teach from this book, that we listen to what it says and that we obey what it says? What makes this book more important than any other book that we might get off the shelf or from a library or maybe even read on our iPad? Why is this book so important? That's the equivalent. So this morning, that's the question that we want to consider. Why do we obey? Why does it matter? Why does the Bible matter and the Word of God, why is it important? And why are we interested in reading it and studying it and learning it and most importantly, applying it? It seems to me that God knew that living in the land of Canaan and surrounded by various kinds of ungodly cultures, every generation of Israelites that arose was going to look around them and they were going to ask, why? They were going to want to know why they did what they did and who they were. And that's the kind of question that every generation in the church of our Lord asks as well. Who are we? Why? What do we do? Notice how this context then will give three answers to this question. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 21, Moses tells the people the first answer to the question, why do we obey God, is because God is our Savior. Notice he directs their minds back to Egypt in Deuteronomy 6, verse 21. He says, Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Now, a number of times in the Bible, the Bible will describe God as our Savior. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2 and 3, David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. God said of himself in Isaiah 43 and verse number 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And in the New Testament, Titus chapter 3, verse number 4, Paul says this, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, and then he goes on to talk about our responsibility to God because of the sacrifice of Christ. So when your children come and they ask you, Deuteronomy 6, verse number 20, why, what's the purpose of the statutes and the judgments, the commands, the word of God? Why is it important and why do we obey it? The first thing that you're going to tell them is, we were slaves in Egypt and God saved us. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, Nehemiah looks back in a prayer to God, and this is what he says about God and how he dealt with the children of Israel while in Egypt. He says this, You saw their affliction, or excuse me, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. God wanted for every generation of Israelites to have that event permanently etched in their minds, in their memory. 
He wanted every generation of Israelite to know there was a time in which we were slaves and in which we were completely without recourse to remove ourselves from that situation. And so God did it for us. He saved us. Now we turn our attention to, of course, the New Testament and we think about ourselves and the application is fairly obvious. You know the passages, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3, where the Bible talks about how God has made us alive who were once dead in trespasses and sins. Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2, your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God. The same principle still applies. Israel, the nation of Israel, they were slaves. They were in bondage, captivity under the hand of the Egyptians. They couldn't redeem themselves and so God saved them. Humanity, you and I, slaves to sin, lost and separated from God without recourse to be able to save or redeem ourselves. And so God did that for us. He is our Savior. And what must separate, what must be the difference between us and between Israel is that we must never forget it. In Psalm 106 and verse number 21, as the psalmist reflected upon the nation of Israel, he said, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. We know that as we continue studying throughout the Old Testament, that eventually the children of Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, they'll cross over the Jordan River, and they'll go into the land of Canaan, and they will successfully conquest the land of Canaan, and they will settle, and there will be basically one generation of people who are faithful to the Lord. But then the next generation will arise and the Bible will tell us about them in the book of Judges that they forgot the Lord their God. That every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They had forgotten that God was their Savior. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 21, Moses says, when your children, when they ask you, why do we obey God? the first thing that you do is remind them it's because God has saved us. We need to be mindful of the fact that the memory, the, the, the reality of God as our Savior, permanently etched in our minds, it keeps us humble because it brings about the real recognition that we are completely dependent upon him. And it motivates us to righteousness, or at least it should. Because there should be within us such a deep sense of gratitude when we think back to who we were and where we were and who we are now and where we are now and how it is God who has made that change possible. There should be this deep sense of gratitude as we think about him that causes us to want to serve him and want to obey him. Why do we obey? Because God is our savior. Number two, because Christ is our sacrifice. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. Moses says in verse 22, And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and uh, severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us, into, uh, bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. Now we go back in our minds to the book of Exodus and we think about the, uh, uh, how the uh, narrative unfolds 
We have God who sends Moses before Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh won't do it. And so we have the plagues that are unleashed against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians. And each one of those plagues, incidentally, is a direct punch to the face of at least one Egyptian false god every time with an exclamation point uh, underlining the fact that Jehovah alone is God and he is powerful. And so finally, after the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh says, all right, take the people and go. But then he has a change of heart, you remember, and he chases the children of Israel. And ultimately, Pharaoh and uh, his soldiers are swallowed up in the waters of the Red Sea after the children of Israel are able to cross over on dry ground. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 22 and 23, when Moses talks about these signs and these wonders that were great and severe against Egypt, and when he talks about this mighty hand of God, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this great power that God unleashed against the Egyptians that the Israelites saw with their own eyes. And he says, listen, when your children come and they say, who is God and what's the deal with the Bible and with the law and why do we obey it? You you remind them of this. Remind them of the power of God. Now, what about us? Naturally, we're not witnessing any sort of of miracles because the time of miracles is gone. But it is true that God has displayed his power and in certain ways continues to display it. And the greatest way in which that's seen is in Jesus Christ. Do you know that Romans chapter 1 verse 4 talks about the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And it says that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection, uh, excuse me, through the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 to 21, Paul is praying and in this particular part of the prayer, he's talking about how he desires that the Christians there, that they have a knowledge and an understanding of the power of God. And he says the greatest display of the power of God is and that he resurrected his son from the grave and that he has exalted him to the right, to his right hand and there he reigns and sits at this present moment as king. Now we're not going to see the waters of the Red Sea parted and we're not going to see uh, plagues over Egypt. But what we can see as we open up the word of God, as we look at the evidence that's around us, and as we use our eyes of faith, what we can see is the great power of God as it is seen in the resurrection and the lordship of Christ Jesus. And we can also see this great power as we think about how the word of God is the power of God to save. Romans 1 and verse 16. And we can see how this word, as it's applied to our lives and the lives of people around us, how it changes and transforms us and molds us and shapes us. And listen, whenever we look in the mirror and we see someone who is completely different than the one who stood in the mirror 10 years ago, We don't attribute that to ourselves. We attribute that to our God and the power of his word to change our lives. The Bible tells us that God sacrificed his son that we might be washed in his blood. Acts 2 verse 38. The Bible tells us that God sacrificed his son that we might be added to his body. Acts 2 and verse 47. That we might be exalted to the heavenlies. Ephesians 2 and verse number 6. We're not going to see any miraculous display of the power of God, but we don't need it. All we need to concentrate on is the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior and what Christ has done for us 
And the fact that God made that possible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20 to 23, when your sons ask you, why do we obey God? Number one, because God is our Savior. Excuse me, yes, our Savior. Number two, because Christ, he's our sacrifice. Number three, because the word of God is our source of direction. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 24 and 25. Deuteronomy 6, 24 says, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God, which he has commanded us. There are five items that are found in these two verses that tell us about the word of God being our source of direction and why God has given it to us and why it is important for us to obey it. First of all, it's to govern us. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24, he uses the word statutes. And the word statute has to do with rules or laws or decrees. And the idea, of course, is that the word of God is our law, that it governs us, that it's a rule of action, that it gives us these parameters by which we are to live. Now think for just a moment about what it would be like to live in a society without any laws, without any rules of action or consequence. What would it be like if we didn't have a, a, a police department, if we didn't have a military, if we didn't have government officials who uh, enact laws and, and see that they are uh, enforced? Well, it would be complete and utter chaos. Well, under the Old Testament, of course, the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they had a law. That's the law of Moses. And the law of Moses governed them. It was their rule of action. And their responsibility was to obey the law. Well, the Bible tells us in Colossians 2.12 that the Old Testament law is, go- is done away. It's been nailed to the cross. But that doesn't mean that we are now presently without any law because Galatians 6 verse 2 and other passages, they talk to us about the law of Christ. We may not live under the law of Moses, but we do live under the law of Christ. And whenever we open up this book and we read uh, the Bible, we study the pages of our New Testaments, we're reading about the gospel or the law of Christ. And listen, these are not mere suggestions or metaphors or stories or anything like that. Listen, God expects us to obey what this book says. The reason why we obey Deuteronomy 6 verse 20 is because God has given us these statutes. He's given us his word in order to govern us. Number two, to build a sense of fear and reverence. Look at the next thing he says in verse 24. He says to fear the Lord our God. And of course he's talking about building a healthy sense of fear or respect. The word fear is used a number of times in the word of God, incidentally, and sometimes it's talking about trembling. It's talking about dread. But other times, especially as it's used in reference to God, it's talking about having this healthy sense of awe and respect toward our God, recognizing him as our father. And what's really interesting is you study the word fear, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, is that to fear is to obey And to obey is to fear. The two are used interchangeably over and over again throughout the Bible, and particularly in the book of Deuteronomy. Read 1 Peter 1, verse 17, where the Bible talks about the fact that we are to spend the course of our life in godly fear 
or in godly reverence. And it's found in a context that has to do with holiness or that has to do with obedience. Why do we obey the will of God? Because it is what God has given us to govern us, number one. Because number two, by reading and studying and learning about the word of God, it builds within us a healthy fear, a healthy respect of our heavenly father, and it pushes us to obey him. Number three, for our own well-being. Notice in verse 24 in the middle of the passage that Moses says, this is for our good always. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes uh, we might talk to an individual and the conversation goes something like this. Listen, we have, this, we have a God who says that he loves us, but he gives us all of these rules, you know, and we have all these things in the Bible and we're supposed to do this and don't do that and so on. What does that mean about God? How could he say that he loves us? Listen, God does not give us his will because he's some sort of evil dictator. It's not like God is a puppet master up in the sky who gets some sort of sadistic glee out of watching people move and dance to his every whim. No, the Bible says that the reason that God gives us these statutes and these commandments to obey, the reason why we ought to take them seriously is for our own well-being. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27, Jesus told a parable. It's about two men, one of them wise and the other foolish. And he says, the wise man built his house on the rock, and when the storm came and the winds blew and the waves crashed upon the house, it withstood. But the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and when the rains and the storms came and the wind blew and the waves crashed on the house, it was destroyed. And how does he liken the wise and the foolish man? The wise man, Jesus says, is the one who hears these sayings of mine and obeys them. The foolish man is the one who hears them and does not obey them. What we have to realize about the word of God is that the word of God is given to us for our own good. That when we conform ourselves to what God tells us, that that does not bring a life of cursing, that brings a life of blessing. The Bible tells us that God is a holy God in passages like Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13. And that as such, because he's a holy God, he can't have anything to do with anything that's unholy. But I want to have fellowship with God, and so do you, I'm sure. And if God is holy, and he can only have fellowship with what's holy, that means that I need to be holy. Well, how do I know how to be holy? He's told me right here in this book. When we study God's word, we're studying the instructions that God has given us so that we might know how to be holy and how to have fellowship with him, a relationship that we might be able to live with him in heaven for eternity. He's not given us his word to make us miserable. He's given us his word for our own well-being. Following up on that, the fourth thing that's in these two verses, it's for our life. Look at the end of verse 24. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Do you know what Jesus said about the words that he spoke in John chapter 6 and verse 63? He said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. In 1 Peter 1 and verse number 23, the apostle Peter talked about the fact that we uh, have purified our souls through our obedience to the truth. Over and over and over again, the Bible tells us that if we're going to live the abundant life right now and eternal life with God in heaven for eternity, that life is made possible through obedience of the word of God. God has given us his word to govern us. 
He's given us his word to build a sense of fear and reverence. He's given it to us for our own well-being. He's given it to us for our life. And five, look at verse 25. He's given it to us for righteousness. He says, he says in verse 25, then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. What is righteousness? How would we define it? To be righteous basically means to be right with God. We have basically two different kinds of righteousness outlined for us in the Bible. There is, first of all, that, that uh, righteousness which originates within man. Paul talks about it a lot in Romans and Galatians and even in Philippians chapter 3, and particularly in Philippians 3 when he says, I, I want to be righteous or right with God, not according to my own righteousness, which is of the law, but according to that righteousness, which is through the faith of Christ Jesus. What he's saying basically is this, I'm not trying to be right with God according to my own will. I want to be right with God according to his will. I want to do it on his terms. And the Bible, when it talks about righteousness, it talks about how God declares people to be righteous, and he declares those people to be righteous who are the ones that, can you guess it? Read, learn, and apply what his word says. Listen to Romans 1 verse 17. In verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then here's verse 17. For therein, that's in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What he's telling us in those two verses is that the gospel is the exclusive means by which God makes people right with him. Why has God given us his word? And when your children come to ask you, Deuteronomy 6.20, why, why we obey these statutes and judgments and why we even care to, to know about them, he says, you tell them because this is for our righteousness. This is how we'll be right with God when we do what God tells, when we do what God tells us to do. So why do we care what the Bible says? Why do we emphasize reading and studying and memorizing God's word? Why do we obey what the Bible says? It's because when we were lost, God saved us. And he did so by sacrificing his son so that we may be washed in his blood and added to his body and exalted to the heavenlies. He gave us a law to govern us and to teach us to fear and revere him, to give life and well-being, to give us a way to live right in his sight. This is why we care. This is why we obey. And for every generation of Christians that, are, that raises up, every generation of children, when they begin to ask these questions about why do we do this and why don't we do that and who are we and what does the Bible say and we could go on and on, these are the answers that need to be given. Because God is our Savior and because Christ is our sacrifice and because the Word of God is our standard and our guide for living. The Lord's invitation now is offered this morning, and it may be that there's someone here who has a desire to obey, to become a Christian, a member of the body of Jesus Christ. We stand ready and willing to help you in doing that. 
Maybe this morning you are a Christian. And maybe as you think about your life and you think about your attitude toward the Word of God, perhaps it's the case that you've not been investing yourself in studying and learning the the Word of God and worse, obeying it. Maybe it's the case that uh, your children or grandchildren have asked questions about who we are and why we do what we do and why we obey, and maybe you've not been able to answer them. Is there some way that we can encourage you this morning? Can we pray for you? Can we strengthen you? Whatever we can do in order to help you be the person God would have you to be, why don't you come forward and let us know while we stand and sing the invitation song.